0: Well, it's wonderful to see everyone here this morning on this uh, chilly Christmas Eve morning. It feels like Christmas out there, so that's good. That's uh, great to be here, and I pray that your hearts will be warmed by being here with us this morning. Uh, Before we get started this morning, I thought I'd just offer a a pastoral prayer. So let's let's bow our heads this morning and look to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you so much again for this uh, season of the year uh, when we celebrate the sending of your Son into this world to come. Uh, to be our Savior. Father, I thank you so much for this church and for those who are gathered here this morning. And Father, we look to you for our our fellowship here, for the sheep that are gathered in this flock, for those who are traveling. We pray for for travel mercies for them and pray for wonderful time, Lord, with their family, wherever they may be. Father, we pray for those who may have have lost uh, loved ones who are close to them this last year, that this time of year may be a difficult time for them. Uh, We pray for for your peace and for your encouragement, Lord, and and comfort in their hearts and lives. Lord, I pray for others who just may be distressed or discouraged about something in their heart and life, that uh, you'd use our time together today to to warm our hearts through the light of of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the Word of God that you've given to us. Uh, we, We pray this morning that you'd open our eyes, that we can behold wondrous things in your Word. We ask these things in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, if you'll take your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 1, we're going to focus again on the significance of, of this season. Uh, this is part three of our uh, Christmas series. Uh, we're calling this series uh, Christmas Decorations. And uh, the first two of these we've already uh, covered these last uh, couple of weeks were hope and peace. And uh, this morning, the Christmas decoration that we want to focus on uh, is light. So I want you to follow with me, if you will, as I read in John chapter 1. I want to read verses 4 through 13. We're just going to really look at a few things in verses 4 through 9, but I want to read this this passage for us. But before I read it, let me just make the comment here. There's a a clear allusion here in John 1 back to Genesis chapter 1 and creation. Obviously, the Bible begins in the beginning, and uh, you have these same words at the beginning of, of John's gospel, in the beginning, Uh, Back in uh, the book of uh, Genesis in chapter 1, you have 10 times there, God said, God said. And of course it says, in the beginning was the Word, focusing again upon uh, what God has said. And then the first spoken words of God in the Bible are, let there be light. And we open here in John's Gospel with... Uh, light. So creation begins with light, new creation begins with light. So this is all uh, an allusion back to uh, Genesis chapter 1. Let me read beginning in John chapter 1 verse 4. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came that he might bear witness of the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. And then we get the response to the light here in verses 10 to 13. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So reads God's inspired and errant word. We all know that uh, Christmas is a season of lights. I'm not telling you all anything about that. I mean, we all know that Christmas is a wonderful season of lights. Um, I read someone this week who said this, the most beautiful Christmas lights are your relatives' brake lights as they drive away. Now, that may be true for some of us here this morning. Those are a different kind of lights of Christmas. Uh, But the appearance of lights is one of the first indicators uh, that Christmas is near. Uh, We see them everywhere, lights uh, on trees, candles in windows. We see houses wrapped in lights. We see trees wrapped in lights. We see them in the malls. Um, Here we had our candlelight service here on Friday night uh, uh, where we focus on the light who's come into the world. Uh, Lights are a fixture um, of the Christmas season, and they bless and they brighten our lives. Like many of you, I've, I've always enjoyed driving around looking at uh, Christmas lights. In fact, I was just thinking this last week as I was over in Northwest Oklahoma City. Uh, when I was growing up, some of you that grew up in the city may remember this, but the best lights in all of Northwest Oklahoma City were in Ski Island, over off of MacArthur and Hefner, kind of in that area. And When I was a teenager, every house in that neighborhood was decorated. And uh, we would pile in cars and snake through that area. I mean, it took literally hours uh, to get there. I mean, I always uh, wondered, even as a young person, if there's ever an emergency in this neighborhood, these people are doomed. I mean, it was just like a a snake going through. It was gridlocked, literally. MacArthur was backed up for miles. But that's a fond memory I have of my teenage years. We'd get a bunch of us in a car and go over to see those lights. everybody wanted to see the lights. It was kind of the attraction back then in northwest Oklahoma City. I'm sure all of you have your own memories uh, about the lights of Christmas, but nothing symbolizes Christmas uh, more than lights, but, but the lights of Christmas are really aren't just decorations, uh, but they're declarations. Uh, the lights of Christmas declare to us that the true light uh, has come into the world, and that's what Christmas uh, is all about. Nothing signifies the message and the ministry of Jesus uh, more than lights. In John 8, 12, Jesus said about Himself, it was the the last day of that great feast of tabernacles, and He stood there, and He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me will not walk in the darkness, will have the light of life. In John 12, 46, Jesus says, I have come as light into the world. Everyone who believes in Me, uh, that he may not remain in darkness. So Jesus came to brighten and to bless the world. He came as the light of the world. And so appropriately, uh, the first Christmas, the birth of Jesus, was also signified by lights. Uh, back in uh, Isaiah, back uh, 700 years before the Messiah comes, Isaiah associates the coming of the Messiah with light. And it's interesting, he also says that he's going to appear in Galilee, up in northern, the northern part of Israel, where Jesus was raised there in Nazareth. Isaiah said this, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom of Naphtali, northern part of Israel. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. By the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So it's a prophecy of the coming of the light. It's also a promise that the coming of the light will begin to shine in Galilee where Jesus was raised. In uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 79, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, uh, reflects on the birth of the Messiah and really prophesies. And he says about uh, this coming Messiah, the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. Uh, Remember the wise men when the wise men were coming and they finally arrive in Jerusalem, what do they say about uh, about uh, this this one they're looking for? They say, we saw his star in the east, his shining in the east, and we have come uh, to worship him. And the, the shining light guided them uh, to Bethlehem where the child was. Think about Luke chapter 2, the shepherds out there in the field around them, as the angels came and announced to them, uh, the birth of Jesus, of uh, the Messiah. So the first Christmas, fittingly, uh, was decorated uh, with lights. So light is an appropriate and a wonderful symbol uh, for Christmas because light brings understanding, it brings uh, life, it brings warmth, it brings guidance, and it brings hope. Now look, we all know this world can be a dark place. Uh, life can be dismal, it can be discouraging and depressing. And we live in a deepening darkness. I don't have to tell any of us that this morning. We live in a deepening darkness that permeates every level of our culture and our society. And it seems everywhere we look that we see more and more darkness. And the world needs uh, more light. If there's one thing this world needs, it needs light. And praise God, the light of the world has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, when He comes, when He comes into a heart and a life, He dispels the darkness. He dispels the moral darkness, the spiritual darkness. He can dispel emotional darkness. And ultimately, He dispels eternal darkness, separation from God for those who trust in Him as their Savior. One person who met Jesus described it like this. I love this. He said, when I met Christ, I felt like I had swallowed sunshine. Isn't that a beautiful way to describe what it means to be a Christian? When I I found Christ, when I met Him, it's like I had swallowed sunshine. It's a beautiful way to describe what it means to meet Jesus, the light of the world. Now, if light is an appropriate symbol for Christmas, then we can look at what light does. And when we look at what light does, we can see a reflection of what Jesus does in the life of a person. So what I want to do this morning is just look at five simple things that light does that also shows us what Jesus does in the heart and the life of a person who will trust in him. Now, the first thing that light does is light reveals. Now, it's interesting here in the beginning of John's gospel, there's two themes that are going to be developed throughout this entire gospel of life and light. And those two go together, life and light. Jesus is the light bringer, and Jesus the the life bringer, and he's the light bearer. As the light, light, Jesus comes and reveals to us what God is like. Uh, He brings the knowledge of God. He reveals God to us. So that's the first thing light does is it reveals. In fact, if you drop down uh, to verse 18 in John chapter 1, it says, No man has seen God at any time the only begotten God, obviously that's stating the deity of Jesus there, the only begotten God who's in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Now that word explained, we get our word exegesis from that word. Jesus has come and He's explained, He's disclosed, He has unfolded what the Father is like. So Jesus as the light comes and He discloses God to us. He shows us what God is like. And that's what Jesus has done. He reveals to us who God is and what He does. We also see that in the fact here in John 1 that Jesus is called the Word. You know, someone could be thinking something in their mind and you don't know what they're thinking until they express it in a word. And so Jesus is the Word, He's the expression of what God is like. So, John chapter 1 is a great deal about Jesus revealing to us. Uh, what God is like. Because up to this time, no one has seen God in the way that God was revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the revelation of God. Uh, Nature reveals God to us. So you can see from nature that uh, God is powerful. Uh, We can see through the the, the order and through the regularity and through the constancy of things that we see and through the beauty of it, that there's a God who's powerful. There's a God who's majestic. There's a God who's creative and a God who's constant. But general revelation can only take us so far. Uh, The Lord Jesus Christ has come to show us in a unique way what God is like, That, that infinite infant has come like light to reveal the character and the will and the mind and the purpose of God to us. Now, one verse that often throws people off a bit here is John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Now, some have taken this and, and extrapolated this to the idea that everyone will be saved that every person is enlightened by God, so every person uh, will receive salvation. There's a lot of interpretations about what this verse means, but again, if we think about John chapter 1 and the context here, the context here is revelation, that the light is revealing the Father. So when it says the true light enlightens every man, it's not talking about inner illumination, but it's talking about external revelation that Jesus has come and shown us what God is like. In other words, he enlightens or illuminates every person by showing us what God is like. But of course, that illumination and that light has to be received by us personally for us to receive salvation. So the enlightenment here is the enlightenment of revelation, not the enlightenment of salvation. So it's not saying here that every person uh, will be saved. What it is telling us is that Jesus reveals the Father. Now, the problem is for human beings is human beings love the darkness. In John chapter 3 and verse 19 it says the men love darkness rather than the light. It's interesting there the word for love is the word agapao it's the word agape Now, when I was growing up, I always heard people say, well, agape love is God's kind of love. You know, lost people cannot have this kind of love. But there's one thing that lost people have agape love for, and it's the darkness. They love the darkness rather than the light because they don't want their sin to be exposed So apart from the working of God in the heart and the life of a person, we love the darkness rather than the light. And I think the darkness here is synonymous down in verse 10 with the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. So if light here speaks of the revelation of God, the knowledge of God and who God is, then darkness speaks of the ignorance of God a lack of knowledge of God and the evil and the sin that that brings to life. I thought of that old song this week as I thought about the, the darkness and the light of Simon and Garfunkel. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. That's the world we live in. It's a world that, love, that loves the darkness rather than the light. And we see that fully on display um, all over the place. But Jesus came to shine into the darkness to reveal God to us. Many of you know the name David Hume. He was a philosopher in the 18th century, a, a colossal figure, really, in, in philosophy. Um, he wrote an essay on the sufficiency of the light of nature, Robertson, and he published a sermon on the opposite thesis, pointing out that the light of nature needs to be supplemented by the revelation of God uh, through Jesus Christ and through the Scriptures. Well, one evening, these two men came together to debate the issue and at the end of the debate, when Hume rose to leave, uh, Robertson took a light to show him the way. And uh, Hume protested. He says, don't worry about me. He says, I find the light of nature sufficient. But opening the door, he's tumbled out into the street and fell down out into the street in the darkness. I love this, uh, the pastor there, uh, F.W. Robertson, jumped down beside him and holding a light down there over this prostrate philosopher and making sure he was okay. He said, it sure looks like you need a little light from above. I like that because we all need light from above, and that light has come in the person of Jesus Christ. So the first thing light does is reveals, and that's what Jesus does. He comes and reveals to us what God is like. The second thing light does is light transforms. Uh, when light comes, darkness flees and the situation is transformed. And you think about a, a room that's dark and you come in and you turn on the lights, the, the room is transformed. Think about when you're up sometime before the sunrise, and you just see a, maybe a dark, cold landscape and the sun begins to come up and the entire landscape and, and the entire horizon um, is transformed uh, by the light. Light has the energy and light has the power. Uh, to transform. I mean, that's what Jesus says in John eight I'm the light of the world. He who believes in me will not walk in the darkness, but he'll have the light of life. He comes to transform us. In John's gospel, it's beautiful. In chapter 8, he talks all about being the light of the world. And then in John chapter 9, Jesus gives an illustration of what it means that he's the light of the world. And you remember he comes and heals uh, the eyes of, of a blind man. And in John chapter 9 and verse 5, Jesus says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And he tells the man, go wash in the pool of Siloam, washes his eyes and he can see. Jesus brings light that transforms life. He's the light. And when we come to know him, the light shines in us and transforms us. Robert J. Morgan says this, he says, what if we lived in a world without sunlight? What if it were dark 24 hours a day? That's what a person's life is like uh, without Jesus Christ. But when He crosses our path, the light comes on. The sun comes up. Jesus is our life, and He is our light. When He comes into the life of a person, as we yield our lives to Him, He uh, transforms us. There's an old story I read years ago about H.A. Ironside, one of my favorite pastors, one of the men that's influenced my life profoundly. Um, He died back in the early 50s. But I was reading a book this week uh, titled The Incarnation in the Gospels, and I ran across this old story again, and I thought I'd share it with you this morning. It's back when Ironside lived in uh, San Francisco back in the early 1900s. And uh, when he was there, a famous atheist approached him and handed him a card. And it said this, Sir, I challenge you to debate me about the question agnosticism versus Christianity in the Academy of Science Hall next Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock. Ironside County, who is a well-known preacher in that area, read the card aloud and said, I'm very much interested in this challenge. Therefore, I'll be glad to agree to this debate on the following conditions. Uh, Namely, in order to prove this man has something worth fighting for and worth debating about, he will promise to bring with him to the hall next Sunday two people. One man who was for years what we commonly call a down and outer, a man who for years was under the power of evil habits from which he couldn't deliver himself, but who on some occasion heard the glorification of of agnosticism and his denunciation of the Bible and Christianity and whose heart and mind as he listened to such an address were so deeply stirred, he went away from the meeting saying, henceforth, I too am an agnostic." And as a result of imbibing that particular philosophy, he found a new power of life had come into him. His sins he once loved, he now hates. The righteousness and goodness are now the ideals of his life, all because he is an agnostic. Along with such a man, Ironside asked him to bring a woman who was similarly delivered from corrupt living by the power of unbelief. And then Ironside turned uh, to his side of the bargain, and he shouted this to all the people who were there. He says, I will bring with me at, at the very least 100 men and women who for years have lived in sinful degradation that I've tried to depict, but have been gloriously slave, saved through believing the gospel you ridicule. I will have these men and women with me on the platform as witnesses to the miraculous saving power of Jesus Christ and his present day proof of the truth of the Bible. And the story goes that this, the atheist walked away. <laughs> for while Ironside could easily produce a hundred men and women transformed by the light of Jesus Christ, the secular debater could not provide one who'd been changed by his philosophy. And he says the reason he he could do that is the light of Christ warms and transforms the sinner's heart. That's what the light does. And all of us, I mean, all of us here who know Christ have been transformed by his life. And we know hundreds of people have experienced the transformation of the light of Jesus. So the light reveals, the light transforms. Thirdly, the light shines. Now you say, well, that's obvious. Well, I just want to emphasize this in verse 5 of John 1. It says, and the light shines in the darkness. The word shines there is in the present tense in the Greek, which means the light shines and it keeps on shining. Now, this is not the sunshine, S U N, this is the sunshine, S O N, shine. And it's telling us here that the light of Christ is constant. Uh, like the sun, light is always streaming and shining uh, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you think about the, the shining of the sun, I mean, when it's day here, it's night somewhere else. When it's night here, it's day somewhere else on the other side of the world. The the light is always shining somewhere. The light is constantly bombarding every corner of this world. And in the same way, the Bible tells us Jesus is an inexhaustible source of illumination, He's an inexhaustible source of the knowledge of God. And He shines through the scriptures constantly. And he shines through the Spirit as well who makes the Lord Jesus Christ real to our hearts. So Jesus is constantly shining to us in the Scriptures and through the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. You know, to borrow the the words of Cousin Eddie from that movie Christmas Vacation, the light of Jesus literally is the gift that keeps on giving. It never stops. The light of Jesus never, ever stops shining. Here's what Martin Luther said. He says, the sun is not dimmed and darkened by shining on so many people or by providing the entire world with its light and bright splendor. It retains its light intact. It loses nothing. It is immeasurable, perhaps able to illumine 10 more worlds. I suppose that a hundred thousand candles can be ignited from one light and still this light will not lose any of its brilliance. Thus is Christ our Lord. You just keep shining. It's inexhaustible. So so Luther takes this image of the sun and and he highlights that the Lord Jesus Christ is an inexhaustible source of light. And to me, I love that because Jesus can come into your life and my life and he can save us, but then he still has more light. Um, he He can keep us. He can take care of us all of our lives and he still has more light. He can meet every need that you have and he still has more light. He can land you in heaven and he can give you life forever, and he still has more light. Jesus is like light. He's constantly streaming uh, his light and his love to us, and he never loses any of his power or any of his energy. Like light, he's constantly streaming, never dimmed, never diminished uh, to any degree. Some of you who are older, I I remember this, kind of reading about it when I was a kid, but some of you may remember Ernie Pyle. He was a Pulitzer Prize-winning American journalist, and who became a a World War II reporter from the Pacific Theater, became very well-known in those war years. I mean, he spent a lot of time in the trenches with the troops and experienced some of the, the darkest hours of, the, of World War II in the, in the Pacific theater. He was exposed to the, the awful, ever-present destruction and death that was there. In fact, he himself was killed near the very end of the war by enemy fire in the Battle of, of Okinawa. But shortly before his death, he wrote these words to a friend. He says, there's no sense to the struggle, but there's no choice but the struggle. It seems to me that living is futile and death is the final indignity. If you have any light, shine it in my direction. God knows I've run out of light. There are a lot of souls in our world today who've run out of light. But Jesus is the light that will not go out. That may be you here this morning. You may think, you know, in my life, I'm, I'm so discouraged and so depressed with things that have come my way. It's like I've run out of light. Jesus Christ is the light that won't go out. He wants to to stream and and to shed into your life and into my life His kindness and His love and His mercy and His power into our hearts and lives. The light shines and never stops shining. Another thing we see here is the light guides. The light guides us. The light that Jesus Christ brings is a guiding light. Uh, When someone walks in the darkness, he doesn't know where he's going fact, over in uh, John chapter 12, in John chapter 12 and uh, verse 35, Jesus says, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light. The darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness doesn't know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light in order that you may become sons of light. So what he's saying here is, is, look, when you don't have the light, you walk in the darkness. You don't know where you're going. But just like light, when it shines, shows us the way. When we receive and believe in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't walk in the darkness any longer. We have light to guide us, to show us where to go in life. So everybody here's probably heard of Thomas Edison, I'm sure, and his discoveries with electricity and lighting across our country. But Back in the spring of 1879, months before uh, Thomas Edison switched on his light bulb, there was a man named Charles Brush that erected a series of, of tall poles topped with lights around the public square in downtown Cleveland. And just before eight o'clock in the evening of october the the 29th of 1879 he activated the power and the 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 lamp closest to the telegraph supply company flickered the lights came on and suddenly the night was illumined like magic can you imagine seeing that for the first time the crowd cheered and the local band uh, burst into a rousing march and the artillery on the lake shore began to boom out in, in honor of this event But that was just the beginning. He began to go and light up city after city in America. And and it was actually Charles Brush, not Thomas Edison, who created what became known in that day as the Great White Way. It was the Great White Way as America uh, was being lit up. And uh, the Great White Way was primarily this area on Broadway in New York City that became then a, a symbol for the rest of the country, the Great White Way. But here's what, here's what Charles Brush said about lighting up these cities. And these words almost have a spiritual ring to them. Listen to this. He says, people have been living in darkness so long, they've organized their lives on that basis. I mean, you think about that. If you don't have any light, you organize your life based on the darkness. But he says, but when they get used to light, they're sure to want more of it. After seeing brilliantly lighted streets and stores, they'll want more light in their homes. And these words have really a striking application to our lives today, because the tragedy is people have been living in darkness so long spiritually that they organize their lives around the darkness. When the light of Jesus shines into our lives, we want more and more of that light because When the light shines into our lives, it guides us and leads us and it shows us where to go. And it's so tragic as we look at our world today. We see so many people, their lives literally are organized around the darkness. But as believers, our lives are to be organized around the light that guides us and leads us and that shows us the way. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going, but Jesus says, I've come to give you the light. The light guides us. So what does light do? What light does is what Jesus came to do. And light reveals. that The light of Jesus shows us what God is like. The light of Jesus shines and keeps on shining. The light of Jesus transforms. The light of Jesus guides. But finally, the light of Jesus triumphs. I love this. What a beautiful place to end. Light reigns and light rules. Look at chapter 1 and verse 5 of John's Gospel. Now, I've got the New American Standard, and when I read this earlier, the translation, it says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, or you could translate, grasp it. But most people believe that that word there, and it, it can carry the idea of to comprehend or to grasp, but it also carries the idea of to overcome or to extinguish. And so the idea here is the darkness did not extinguish or overpower or overcome the light. Uh, The English Standard Version translates it, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, The New Living Translation says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And I love Barclay's translation. He says, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not put it out. And the point here is that darkness can never overcome the light. The darkness cannot overcome it. Think about it. When You, when you, you only find darkness when light retreats. The whole idea of really what light is is a mystery. Light's mysterious. I remember when I was in physics class in high school, I wasn't exactly a whiz in physics, but we talked a lot about light and just the the mystery of it. What what really is light? But you only find darkness when the light retreats. And light always comes out on top, it always comes out on top uh, every time. Uh, The Bible tells us that the darkness did not overpower it. Here's the way one person says it the light always wins, it's an unequal contest. We know from experience, light and darkness are asymmetrical. Light dispels darkness simply by its presence, whereas darkness doesn't naturally um, extinguish light. My grandson and I like to play with flashlights. When the sun goes down at night, we'll go around in the house looking under the beds or the closets or stuff in the dark and walking around the house. And I was thinking about that this week, and we we carry around the flashlight with us. Have you ever seen something called the dark light? Have you ever seen something that when it's light outside, you can turn it on and it fires a beam of darkness into the light? (laughs) Nothing like that exists, right? There's no device that sends a beam of darkness into the light, but a flashlight casts a beam of light into the darkness, no matter how much darkness there is. The the light always wins. In other words, light is always preeminent over darkness. And that's the image that John presents here to us of Jesus. Jesus. When you think about the coming of Jesus into the world, uh, the darkness of the shadow of death was cast over Jesus from the moment of his birth as uh, wicked King Herod tried to murder the Messiah. He he was born into uh, the darkness. And throughout his life, the the religious leaders constantly conspired uh, to kill Jesus. There was this uh, uh, shadow of, of the darkness of death hanging over his life. First, they they finally succeeded. Uh, They hung him on a cross and and tried to snuff out the light. And and isn't it interesting as the light of the world hung there on the cross, there was thick darkness. You remember from three hours, for, for three hours from noon till three in the afternoon, the light of the world hung there in the darkness, crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But three days later, we all know the story. The light extinguished the darkness, because Jesus is the light that will never, ever go out. He's the light that triumphs over the darkness, and He wants to come into your life to dispel uh, the darkness as well. The darkness of guilt, uh, the darkness of discouragement that maybe is gripping you this morning, of uh, the shadowy, dark corner that maybe life has backed you into. the Lord Jesus wants to come and dispel uh, that darkness. And ultimately. He's come into your life and into my life to dispel the final darkness, the ultimate darkness, the outer darkness, the place the Bible calls hell. He wants to come, all, overcome all of those darknesses in your life and in my life if we will simply trust Him and receive Him and welcome Him. Isn't it interesting where the Bible begins and ends? The very first words spoken by God in the Bible are, let there be light. And the Bible also ends with light. The Bible ends with Jesus overcoming the darkness. When you read Revelation 21 and 22, the the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, it says there is no sun there, there is no moon. Uh, When we get to heaven someday, there aren't going to be any streetlights in heaven. Listen to Revelation 21 23. These are some of the most powerful words in the Bible. Speaking of that heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. The city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and the lamp is the Lamb. The lamp of the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, and the new earth, the lamp of all of that is the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about that. The radiant effulgence of Jesus will overcome all darkness and will illuminate every corner and every crevice of the new heavens, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. In other words, light is going to rule and light is going to reign. The darkness does not overcome it. And I don't know about you, but that's good news to me today because we see the darkness advancing in every front in our culture. And isn't it wonderful to know that the light wins? The darkness cannot overcome uh, the light. Sometimes it seems like in our culture today that the darkness is winning. But it's heartening for us to know but the delight of the Lord Jesus Christ will triumph and will reign. And Jesus wants to shine that light into your heart and into your life here this morning. I like the story about a a painter who painted a a bleak picture of a winter scene, depicted a a storm, a a snowstorm sweeping across the countryside. And over in the corner, there was a small little cabin there, but it it, it looked dead and hopeless. The whole scene was uh, was just dark and cold. But with one small stroke, the, the, the painter uh, dramatically transformed that picture. He took the tip of his brush and dipped it in uh, some gold paint and touched one window of the cabin. And the golden glow from that little light in the cabin transformed that entire dark picture from coldness to invitation uh, to come in out of the cold, from a picture of death to life, from a picture of, of gloom. Uh, to gladness. And that is what the light of Jesus Christ does in your life and in my life. And Jesus Christ wants to paint your life with the glow of his love and his mercy and his hope and his forgiveness. And if you'll open your life to him, he'll put light in your heart and he'll put light uh, in your home. Look, the, the lights of Christmas that we see around us are not just decorations, but really they are are beautiful declarations of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Jesus reveals. He shows us who God is. Jesus shines. He transforms. He guides. And Jesus triumphs. Jesus says, I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me shall not remain in the darkness. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you humbly this morning. We thank you that Jesus has come into the world. And that he came into this world and overcame our darkness at the cross. That he was born to die for sinners, to give us the light, to overcome the darkness. So Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who's never trusted in Jesus as their Savior. They've never received him. They've never welcomed the light into their heart and their life. I pray that they'll realize this morning that Jesus overcame their darkness at the cross. And they'll believe in him and receive him. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. and Whoever believes in me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Father, for those maybe here this morning who've run out of light, I pray that they may run to Jesus and find in him all the light that they need. Oh Father, thank you for our precious Savior. May his light stream into our hearts and lives every day as we yield ourselves to him. We ask these things in his precious name. Amen. Well, if you'll stand with me for the benediction. Again, uh, no services here tonight. We had our candlelight service on Friday evening. It was a great time here. I appreciate all of you that came to that. Uh, we'll be here next Sunday morning, and we're going to finish up with these uh, Christmas decorations with, uh, with joy. Um, If you are a visitor with us, thank you for being here with us. Thanks for coming out on this cold uh, Christmas Eve, uh, Sunday morning. There's a a welcome desk out in the foyer, and if you go out there, there's some people who'd love to give you some more information about our church and maybe answer any questions that you have. Let's bow our heads now for the benediction as we leave here with the Lord's blessing upon us. Well, Father, we come before you now. We thank you for the light of of the Savior. We pray, Father, for the power of your Holy Spirit now to take hold in our lives, And that we will leave this place today as those who go out and witness to the light, as those who go out and walk in the light, will walk as children of light. Now, Father, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. All God's people said, Amen. amen.
1: To a place unexpected Would you believe After all we've projected A child in a manger Lonely and small The weakest of all Unlikeliest hero Wrapped in his mother's shell Just a child